Good morning, Eugene. Hey, good morning. So tell me a little bit about what you know about niche marketing or niche marketing. Well, I guess with marketing and selling of any product, I sort of think about what makes the thing that you're trying to sell or create different than what already exists. And I think a lot of a lot of people these days sort of try to find their area so they don't have to be the best at this broad sort of big big topic or thing. They they try to specialize and make it easier for them to dominate some sort of space. So I guess you were uh, like baking stuff and with like the whole gluten-free and special allergy and special dietary needs trend I think that's going around I I was always like suspicious or skeptical about why this is happening because the percent of people with these dietary needs is let's say significant because they're able to like like impact the market with all these new products that are sort of diet specialized but the population of these people is so relatively small that I was confused why why can you go to any grocery store and get some gluten-free stuff and I guess that's like also not true we live in New York area so that that area tends to be I sort of want to say more progressive but yeah. they're Progressive might be the wrong word, but they, they, they do have more of these trends, sure. options. Mm-hmm. Like you can go to any grocery store and there's like a veggie section where if you go to like Arkansas, I, I have a feeling you won't get as many options. And that might be because there's more money to be made from just the higher population density. And I think that a lot of these businesses that do offer these niche sort of products aren't really targeting people with like celiac disease or gluten intolerance or whatever the specialty item may be. They're sort of they're sort of offering a new product and trying to sell it to anyone who's interested. Does that does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, do you think that? I mean, with the I think that actually let's let me start with this. Um, I think that with um, um, niche, especially food, it's harder to to really build a business fairly quickly. So you need to sort of be low cost type setup. I think because it's it's it may take a while to like change the like changing the people's habits and people's mindset is probably the most difficult part of any type of innovation. Although with tech innovations, it becomes a little easier and faster, I think. But when, when it comes to like niche foods, like only now there are like vegan restaurants who are actually like making money in the New York area. Um, I don't know how profitable they are in like other areas. Right. And I think that these products that are diverging or innovating or you know something new they do tend to come up in these high density areas because the chance that someone will you know buy a gluten-free muffin is 
low if they're not familiar with the product. But if you multiply that by you know millions and millions of people that go to that same grocery store or bakery, there is some money to be made. But if the same percent of people in a more rural area buys that muffin, you might not get any sales. So I don't think it's a coincidence that these things pop up in cities because that's the only way for them to make money. They can't just give this stuff away and hope for like societal change. And I do, I do think it's a little dubious that they market it as like healthier or for the people that have some sort of dietary preference or inability to eat some product because I don't think the the majority of people that are buying these, you know, gluten-free things are actually gluten intolerant. And I'm not saying that that's wrong, but I'm saying that like, it's a little dubious to market it as a healthier option or we need this alternative for all these people that are gluten intolerant, even though there may be some percent of them. I think the majority of people that buy this are sort of either tricked into thinking that it's healthier or they just want a new thing to try. And then, you know, if you can make a muffin well, why not get the fancy one from the nice bakery that you like that just happens to be gluten-free? Yeah. It'd be nice to have, to be able for these businesses to, to like be able to offer, I guess, their stuff in the bigger stores. Is that what you were sort of talking about? Um, I don't I think mean, that it would, I don't think it would work that way. I think for the big stores, you need a scale of products that I don't think is quite there because a lot of these innovations, they're, they're using like different flowers, different substitutes for, you know, basically classic recipes. So muffins were around for a while, but now people are trying to make a muffin substitute or like a thing that looks like another thing without using some ingredients. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think that the people that have allergies or other things appreciate it. And I think that an even greater majority of people just like a new interesting thing. But I don't think that there's the scale to to really say, okay, you know, every grocery store in this county will have this brand of gluten-free bread maybe there's one but i don't think you'll have like a diversity of products that are also super niche cuz that's just not that's just not what it is they're they're niche almost on purpose yeah i guess i mean i feel like also with the super niche um they're able to charge much higher prices for the product and i think they're also subject to less scrutiny so if you go into the store and you you have, I don't know, 20 different breads and these breads sell to millions and millions of people nationally or globally, a lot of people will have opinions. And if 2% of the people, 5% of the people don't like this bread, they will, you know, complain and there will be, there are issues exposing your product to a much larger audience because you'll draw scruti- like criticism and scrutiny to it where you can have a local bakery selling a gluten-free muffin to 100 people a month. I don't know. 
And I think those people that are buying this niche product are much more willing to ignore that it doesn't taste as good because they're supporting <laughs> like this bakery. Or maybe it does taste as good to them, but their taste is different from the vast majority of people. Maybe it's an acquired taste. Maybe it's something that, you know, they do out of their own curiosity or they want to be different in this way. This sounds all judgy, but I don't think there's anything wrong with buying niche things. I do think that trying to scale this niche thing that's different to a much larger audience will will have some troubles and I don't think it'll be successful. And I think that's why a lot of the most successful stuff do tend to be sort of bland and like, homogenous. Yeah. And these these smaller bakeries, these smaller shops are able to sell these different products that might appeal to some niche group. Even though that group, you know, isn't allergic to gluten, there's still some group that prefers it that way. And I think the marketing really reflects that they're trying to differentiate themselves from, hey, don't buy, you know, this bread that everyone knows, like Wonder Bread that's like plain or boring or dated. Look at this new product. We're selling it in small amounts. We're charging you more money and try to be part of our club. <laughs> and, you know, that's that's different than we just need something to sell to millions and millions of people for $2, uh, like a loaf. Well, <clears throat> here's the thing. So I feel like the niche market, well, and it, this has been kind of my experience with how they come about or whatever. Um, a lot of times the niche, especially food market comes from some sort of a life situation. Um, so for example, like my husband used to eat vegan and now he actually has to be the opposite because he can no longer eat vegan. So he can't have any kind of nuts or seeds or whatever, um, at all. So like there's this nourishing kitchen where the baked, the, the flour, for example, is, has, is grain free and, uh, gluten-free and, um, you know, not free or whatever. So like, and the reason that this kitchen exists is because this woman, I know her personally, um, she, her child, I believe had some, um, some ser serious allergies and kind of it prompted her. She wanted to bake something, um, you know, for her child, but she couldn't find anything in the regular store. <clears throat> so like that kind of has how her business came about. I mean, her products are expensive, um, but um, like I just ordered another bag of pretzel flour because <laughs> it's really good. Um, yeah, but uh, that's often what, how it happens, and there's always going to be demand for that. Maybe it's not going to be huge demand, like to to be able to put it in the store, like in a stop and shop or whatever, or Whole Foods. Um, but there will be there should there could be potentially a consistent demand for that product yeah and again like not every business needs to scale to be you know international you don't have to be making millions and billions of dollars of sales you can just have 
like a small company that sells different kinds of flowers and like cool great this lady might might have made this flower for her own kids just just because and then she saw an opportunity to make a business but i think expecting that business to make millions of dollars isn't isn't the point because it is such a niche sort of area and people like that like i'm I'm thinking of bands when they get too big they call them sellouts and say i don't listen to you know insert your favorite band that got too big that you stopped listening to because oh well they just started getting very generic and trying to please their audience sure and i think it is important to have these niche products and i think it's important that they don't get big that they that they stay local that they stay true to what they're doing so you have this diversity of interests and obviously if you have you know 200 different flower companies that make gluten-free flour one of them might decide or you know get lucky or whatever to to grow much much bigger and then one or two brands start dominating the whole market i think that's sort of normal yeah but these smaller companies with the internet, with uh, you know, new marketing techniques, sort of being more personal, appealing to individuals as opposed to enterprise stores, it's much easier to sell you a bag of flour than to sell a national chain a thousand platters of you know the yeah. specialized flour because there's just sure. no demand for it. But the business can be sustainable on a small scale, still making you know whatever money it is. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense for sure. Um, so the conclusion that we can kind of draw here, I feel like at least this is kind of my position on this. I think that if you are okay with like if if actually no if you want to not just okay if you want to have a small business that's kind of has a limit to its growth because of it, of it being super niche then you know going to this business is great i think i feel like maybe the managing expectations probably the best approach and i mean it, it it's not like it's impossible to <clears throat> It's not like it's impossible to, you know, to grow it into a million dollar business, but most likely it will change. And there are, I know people and I've known, I've known companies who deliberately did not want to grow to that point. They were completely satisfied with, with the level of business. And my own practice is actually um, the same way. I'm not looking to grow exponential. I'm not looking to grow at all. Um, I'm, I'm perfectly happy with a small niche practice. Um, because there are other things that I want to do in life. Right. And when you, when you do grow in service business or product business, the product itself that you offer will ultimately change and often to being unrecognizable. Or maybe your day to day will change to something that you don't want to do. Like the lady you're buying flour from could, you know, get much bigger, hire a bunch of people, start selling it to other people like smaller businesses and her job will go from making flour to managing like relationships with companies and brands. And that just might not be something that 
she wants to do. It might be. I don't know. Maybe if presented with this opportunity, she'd be like, oh, wow, I can't believe I made it. But I also, I also know a couple people that have successful products, you know, apps, small sort of like novelty food things that it it's not a hobby because it does, you know, support their lives, but they're not they're not looking to go public or to sell their company. They're they're just doing it because they want to and also it's nice to make money from it and be recognized. Yeah. yeah. So should we have super niches, you think? I don't think it's a should. I think they just happen and I think it's important for people to maybe acknowledge, maybe be aware that not every business wants to become like Starbucks that was a small coffee shop and grew to a ridiculous size. That That's great. You know, the people wanted it. They're, they're making money. They're supporting families and all sorts of like, I bet the, the people that own and manage Starbucks feel pretty good that they have such an influence on the world. But that also comes with a lot of stress and scrutiny. And I don't know, maybe this flower that you like isn't a mass appealing product. And I would think that this flower isn't good. And I would complain about it. And especially in today's world, where if you get too big, you you, you draw all sorts of scrutiny to your personal life from people that you don't know and you don't care about. And I think a lot of people aren't comfortable getting too big. They're not used to it. They don't know how to, how to handle those situations when they're out of their depth. And these small niches are, are fine. And I, I mean, it's nice. You go to a farmer's market and you might be able to buy some, product that is only available in this area because there's one person doing it, two people doing it. So, um, yeah, so it's all about, I guess, kind of expectations and what you're looking for. Expectations sure and like having the language to know that what you're doing is okay. There's more to like life than owning or managing a big business. People should kind of acknowledge and see that not everything has to be about exponential growth. It's totally cool to do a thing you like and not grow. Or not grow to, like, you will grow because you will get people who are, let's say, have the same dietary restrictions that will find out about you and stuff. But they will just, you just won't grow to, to huge, necessarily to a huge business. Yeah. And you don't have to. Like, I'm thinking yeah. if you have, like, a blueberry bush in your backyard for a couple weeks a year, you can collect the blueberries, bring them to your farmer's market, buy a table, and sell them. You're not going to become a blueberry farmer, but that could just be a fun thing you do for a month. Same thing with flour, you know? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. There's all sorts of scale to businesses, and it doesn't have to conform. There's so many opportunities for people to play around and just sort of experiment with what they're interested in. And it doesn't have to be successful in the eyes of some MBA at Harvard. That's true. Absolutely. I mean, amen to that. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Eugene. Yeah. Great talk. See you next week. See you next week.